and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y, dot com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two, zero, for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves, and the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. Each episode has a prompt or a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to a friend, or share on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Okay, it has been a minute since I shared with you a list of my favorite things. And so I have a lot to tell you about today, including my new favorite lipstick and my new favorite thing that I keep on my bedside table, the best nonfiction book I've read so far this year, besides my own, and professional services that I've paid for and think are worth every single penny. There is a lot that we are going to get to today as I share my favorite things. And as always, I just want to remind you that we talk about our favorite things for a few reasons. On this show, and online, wherever we decide to share our favorite things. It's number one, fun, which is not to be underestimated. (laughs) Sharing things because it's fun to share them and talk about them and recommend things is worth it alone. Like if that was the only reason we did it, doing it for fun is enough. But also we do it because when we're sharing our favorite things, we're also sharing parts of ourselves. We're sharing what we're into, We're sharing what our taste is right now. Usually when we list our favorite things, it also brings up a feeling of gratitude in us. And so it then lets us have a minute to be like, yes, I love that thing. And also just recommending stuff is nice and worthy of our time. I love it when my friends recommend things. I love to recommend things. Most of us do. And so this is why. 
we share our favorite things here on 10 Things to Tell You or online, however you choose to do it. Also, I am sharing 10 favorite things here with you today, as I do in these episodes, and they, you know, span a lot of different categories. Also, I share a few extra bonus favorite things over in secret stuff. That's my Patreon community, a membership community where I put bonuses to episodes like this, where I have personal episodes, where we have two monthly Zoom gatherings together every single month. My secret stuff community is probably my very favorite work that I do on the internet. I just love it over there. And there's also bonuses to episodes like this one. This week, there will be bonus favorite things over in Secret Stuff, things that I maybe don't want to talk about quite so publicly, like my new favorite bra and the special boxes that I put together to send out to my Life Council members, like the actual people that I write about in my new book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. They got these special boxes that I had custom made. I'm sharing all about that on Secret Stuff. If you want to hear these bonus favorite things, more than the 10 I'm going to share here today, you can learn more about Secret Stuff by going to lauratremaine.com slash secret stuff. Okay, let us jump in to actual favorite things. You know where I'm going to start, right? Like you absolutely can guess where I'm going to start. My first favorite thing that I'm going to share with you is directly tied to my new book, The Life Council. But it's not just the book, which I love and I hope that you buy in any format, but it is the parties and readings, signings that have sprung up around the launch of The Life Council. I think this would be fun no matter what because I love meeting readers. I love talking about this topic, friendship. But they're extra special to me now because I launched my first book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. I launched that in early 2021 when life was still squarely in the pandemic and there were no gatherings. There was no book tour. There were definitely no parties. And while I loved launching Share Your Stuff and I think it came out at a really crucial time when we were looking for connection in the midst of world upheaval, I also missed out on this part of being an author and meeting readers and talking about something I'm really passionate about. And so getting to do it with the Life Council launch has totally filled my cup in a different way. And yes, I am an introvert. Things like this drain me. And also, I can think of nothing else more worth it. I love being able to meet you, being able to deep dive on friendship and hear your reactions and hear your situations and and what this book, The Life Council, has brought up for you. Just talking about friendship in general, just being in a room full of amazing people who also care about their relationships and who also want to be introspective about their life. Maybe they've been listening to this show for a while and we finally get to meet in person. If that is you, I would love for you to join me at one of my Life Council tour stops. We've already had 
a wonderful event here in Los Angeles. As I record this, I'm about to head to Nashville for a celebration there. In May, I am going to Oklahoma, my home state. I'm going to be in my hometown one night and then in Oklahoma City at Commonplace Books on Thursday, May 4th. We're also adding some stops in June. The only one that is 100% confirmed that I can tell you about is I'm going to be at Fabled Bookshop in Waco, Texas. I am a huge fan. I'm so excited to go there on Tuesday evening, June 20th. That is my birthday week. So that feels extra special to me to be able to do something like this that week. And then there are a few other things that are percolating. I am hoping to get to New York City, Charlotte, North Carolina, maybe Minneapolis, and maybe the DC area. It will just sort of depend on if those other events come together. I plan all of these things myself. And so I'm reliant on locals and bookstores and friends like you who want to come out to a book event like this. So as they come together, please follow me on social media so you can see if I'm coming somewhere in your area. I'm posting everything on Instagram in particular at laura.tremaine. You can also always check on my website, lauratremaine.com slash the Life Council Book Tour. All of this is so fun for me, hopefully for you, and it is my number one favorite thing right now. You know, a side note about this is that earlier this year when I thought I wasn't going to be able to do a lot of book stops, meet and greets, signings at bookstores, all of these things, I did not think these were going to come together for a few different reasons that are a little bit too complicated to get into, but time and convenience and money and all of the things that go into putting together a book tour, I thought it actually wasn't going to happen. And when I was dissecting this disappointment that I thought I was having earlier in the winter, I was talking about it with my mastermind. I was talking about it with some of my friends and realizing that this to me was one of the biggest parts of becoming an author, which in some ways feels like it should be backwards, right? Like there's a part of writing a book, a huge part, like the biggest part that is so solitary. And I think a lot of writers like really thrive in that. Like they want it to be solitary. That's why they are writers. They're good at doing this thing alone in their room. And I really get that part of it. I enjoy writing. I mostly enjoy the editing process, even though it's hard. But there's always been this other piece, which is connecting with readers and people and being in bookstores, like this part of the author culture that I really wanted also, like that I have seen since I was a little girl when I had this dream to be an author that I thought that was part of the picture, part of the dream for me. And I didn't realize like how much that was so until the first book came out and I didn't get it. So being able to have that piece of launching a book and being a writer and committing your ideas and sentences to the page forever, this other piece, the second piece really of meeting people and talking about your work, that has just been so meaningful to me. And so it's my number one favorite thing on this list, not just because I'm trying to promote the book, which I am, but because it also is part of fulfilling this dream. 
for me, it's part of feeling like an actual published author. And so it feels very satisfying. And did I mention fun? It is fun. So I would love to meet you. I would love for you to come. Keep your eye out for all of the different book tour announcements and stops so that maybe we can meet each other. Okay, that was my number one. Let's move to number two. Number two is (laughs) my lofty alarm clock. Now, I've been waiting to tell y'all about this maybe since it came up on the bonus episode with Emily Lay back in February. If you listen to that bonus episode, that was five tips for a better morning routine. It was all about morning routines. Emily was sharing her thoughts on that. And both of us realized in that conversation that we were both using this lofty alarm clock. Now, maybe this is a good time now for me to tell you that these episodes, these favorite things episodes, nothing here is like sponsored or anything. (laughs) I paid for all of these things. If it is something that you pay for, I paid for all of them myself that I'm sharing with you. This isn't like subversively, you know, getting a perk out of it. There's one thing on this list, and I will tell you when I get to it, that I actually uh, did not pay for that is something one would usually pay for. Everything else I have purchased with my own money, and I am sharing it because I genuinely love it and am recommending it, including the lofty alarm clock. Now, I've talked before on this show or maybe in my newsletter, The Secret Posts, about how it is better for me to not use my phone as my alarm clock in the morning. That I do not like scrolling before bed. I do not like reaching for my phone first thing in the morning and before my eyes are even fully open, being hit with news headlines or texts from people who expect a reply back right away. Like that energy of waking up and sort of being jolted emotionally with a lot of information or questions or anything like that. Like this is not how I want to start my day. And yet using your phone as your alarm clock is so convenient. You can quickly set it. It has all kinds of different settings. Maybe you do scroll before bed and so your phone is right there. Maybe you're afraid you're going to miss something. You have a demanding job or children or whatever. And so you want to have your phone right there by your bed. This alarm clock thing is a phase that I go in and out of. So as much as I say I hate waking up to a bunch of notifications or even just a screen in general, I still will sometimes go months using my phone as my alarm clock. And then something will happen or I'll suddenly remember, this is why I hate using my phone as my alarm clock. However, I've never found a clock that I liked very much to replace it. So for a while, I think what I've shared here before, for a while I had just like, you know, a very cheapo digital clock, you know, that you can find anywhere that I used, but it was one, a little bit hard to set, wasn't that easy to set. And it was too super ugly. Like I could never find a good alarm clock that I wanted to sit so prominently on my bedside table that also had an ease of use. I Googled this, I think I Googled it for like years. And I know that there are several options out there, but I just, I didn't like the way that they looked or they functioned. 
I finally pulled the trigger on this lofty alarm clock, and I am so glad I did. First of all, it has custom settings, just like your phone might, where you know you can have one wake-up time on Monday and a different wake-up time on Wednesday. It saves all of that. It's easy to set once you kind of know what the buttons do. The other thing is it's not ugly. It's very unobtrusive and plain on my bedside table. The numbers are not blaring out at you with some bright digital, you know, colors or anything. But the thing I love the most about it, this is going to sound silly. I feel silly even as I say it out loud. The thing I love most about it is the wake-up sound that I have chosen, and there are several wake-up sounds that you can choose from, are like these gong, (laughs) these like low-pitched sort of gong noises that start out very light and then sort of get louder the more that you don't press snooze. For me, maybe for everyone, this sound, any kind of sound like this, I think there's like jungle noises, like I think there's all kinds of sounds you can choose from. But it is so much better for me than the blare of another alarm clock. Now, I know you can choose things on your phone. I've had chimes or whatever going on my as my phone alarm for a long time. This is different. The sounds of the lofty alarm clock gong sound, it is like peaceful. It is like a zen way to wake up. It is not jarring. It is the opposite of that. And I've also found that when that sort of sound goes off, and I have a body clock that tends to kind of wake up in the minutes before my alarm actually goes off. When those sounds do sort of start to come through my room, I realize that I genuinely, I'm not just saying this, I genuinely feel more peaceful about that sound, knowing that I am not going to reach over and see my phone. When my phone alarm goes off, there's something instinctively in me that knows when I reach over to press news or whatever, that I'm also going to see the screen with notifications or just there's something about the phone screen, even if there aren't notifications on there, that just sort of wake you up in a different way. I don't want to be so tied to my phone. I've struggled with this for years. I know we've talked about this here for years and years, this phone addiction, a screen addiction, a notification addiction. And I have gone in and out of phases where I try to break that tether with my phone. And then I go through seasons where I'm just like, well, this just is what it is. I'm tied to my phone. I need it. I like it. This is who I am right now. Well, right now, I am the opposite of that. I am already exploring ways to think about how to disconnect from certain aspects of my digital life. As you can imagine, this is like coming from after a season. This is following a season of like extreme busyness and extreme feeling like people are constantly needing me texting me, emailing me, voxing me for not fun reasons, for like to-dos. And I've had weeks in 2023 where I was really drowning in all the communication and in all the tasks and to-dos. And that's just what life looked like this year with a lot of work happening, relaunching this show, putting the book out, kids and sports and life and, and whatever. I can accept that some seasons are busier than others. And now I'm trying to navigate that space a little differently and try to figure out like, okay, so we've had this busy season. Now let's reassess, let's recalibrate and 
make it so that we don't feel this urgency all the time. And one of those ways is disconnecting from my phone. And a huge way of disconnecting from my phone is not having it in my bedroom. I've been so pleased with this lofty alarm clock. And whether you choose that one or another one, it's just something to think about in terms of favorite things of what is going to make your life feel like a little bit more peaceful, a little bit less frantic, a little more present in your day instead of on autopilot, putting out fires, feeling behind, feeling frazzled. And for me, it starts with the way I wake up. So that was my number two favorite thing, the lofty alarm clock. Okay, number three on my favorite things lately list is a book, a nonfiction book. I don't know what it means that my favorite books that I've read so far in 2023 are all nonfiction. I'm not including my own book in that list. Although, of course, I did write a nonfiction book, but this one really, it made an impression. Okay. The book is called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control by Catherine Morgan Schaffler. Now, I found out about this book from my friend, Shauna Nequist. You might've heard us in conversation last week in episode 170, where we talked about being old friends. She posted about this book, The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control, on her Instagram, and I love Shauna's book recommendations and also the title of this one, right? I mean, like, if you know, you know. That's how I felt about it. I ordered it immediately, and it became my morning reading for about a week. So I do my morning reading every morning, obviously. I set a timer for 20 minutes. It's always nonfiction. It's usually some version of like self-help or productivity or something that's just going to start the day well for me, not a novel. I never read novels in the morning except for on Sunday mornings. And if you are not used to having such a regulated reading life and schedule, then maybe that is not your area of perfectionism. (laughs) But you can see maybe why I was drawn to a book about perfectionists. This book, I, I do not remember the last time that I felt so seen by a book. I really put it in a category with Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which I read, I think the summer of 2016, maybe the summer of 2014, actually. So it's been almost 10 years now. And that was an eye-opening book for me. That was Brene Brown's words in that book just like broke me wide open and really changed a lot of my life trajectory, at least my work trajectory, I should say, in being vulnerable, in sharing myself, you know, and then I went on to like make a whole platform about sharing myself. And a lot of those changes came after I read that book, The Gifts of Imperfection. This book, The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control, is almost on par with that for me in terms of being really eye-opening and feeling like it was written exactly for me. And what's funny is I felt like I had sort of shed my perfectionist tendencies as I've gotten older. When I was younger, I was a perfectionist about a lot of things, and I was kind of that cliche version of what you think of when you think of a perfectionist. Like, I wasn't super tidy necessarily, but 
I was very strict with myself. I was very judgmental. I was very type A in some really specific ways. And as I've gotten older and done a lot of different work and become a mom and gone to therapy and all of the things that happen as a life goes on, a lot of that has softened in my life. I am not as hard-edged as I used to be. I'm definitely not as judgmental as I used to be. And some of the type A tendencies that I had when I was younger were so directly tied to my anxiety and my need to exert control over my every action and everyone else's actions. A lot of that really specific grip has loosened in my life in the last 10 years. And so I would not really define myself as a perfectionist until I read this book and she outlines, I think, four different types of perfectionists, including sort of messy perfectionists and procrastinator perfectionists and classic perfectionists. And in the different chapters when she is painting different scenarios of the different types of perfectionism that you might exhibit, I saw myself in all of them, which she said is also common. And I could tie it to relationships, anxiety, trauma, a personality type, all of the different ways that you know you might identify at some point in your life or currently as a perfectionist. But the way that she writes about it, she empowers it. Instead of making it seem like something that you have to get over, something you have to work through, something you have to abandon, it's like the opposite of that. She's trying to get you to harness that part of your personality and see it for the gift that it can be. Not the darker parts of it, but the parts that make you really good at your job or really good as a parent or a spouse or a friend or a community member, a volunteer, any of the ways that your perfectionism might come out and why it can be beneficial. So I also liken it to Susan Cain's book, Quiet, which is you know about the power of being an introvert, which before that conversation came out, introverts were always seen as not weaker, but sort of maybe less powerful than extroverts. And that idea was really like tumped on its head by Susan Cain's work and is now sort of a more broadly accepted idea. This is how I felt about the perfectionist's guide to losing control. I just saw myself on every page. I was underlining and highlighting and dog ear every page. Like there was so much about this book that made me feel like, number one, I haven't dropped as many of my perfectionist tendencies as I thought I had. They have changed in maturity and they have changed with the ways that my career has changed, the way my life has changed. Like I have different aspects to my personality now, but there are a lot of things that I still care a lot about that I grip tightly, maybe sometimes too tightly. It just looks a little bit different and it might not look like how we perceive a classic perfectionist. Like I don't know that anyone in my life who knows me really well or works with me would describe me as a perfectionist because I am not super, super detail-oriented. I drop the ball at a regular pace <laughs> in my life and try to be very open about that. Like I'm not perfect in that part of the world and I, in that part of the word, and 
I am okay with that. You know, I've, I really am okay with things being a little bit messy or with things not getting done or all of these different ways that I would have thought wouldn't match up to what we think of as a perfectionist. But reading sort of the motivation behind what makes a perfectionist or how it's tied to other aspects of our personalities or relationships or childhood, it was just the most amazing read for me. Like I I know that I'm going to return to this one over and over. I have a few books in my life that I return to at least once a year or every couple of years that I sort of read and remember, ah, okay, this is why this resonated with me. This is why this still matters. The Brene Brown book is one of them. Essentialism by Greg McEwen is another one. There are just a few of those sort of nonfiction books that you really feel like they're so perspective changing that you want to just keep them on your shelf with easy access. And this book is one of them. So it's definitely one of my favorite things on my list. Again, it's called The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control by Katherine Morgan Schaffler. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, that was number three. Number four of my favorite things is my neon sign, my new neon sign. If we were on Zoom right now, you would see it behind me because it is in my brand new podcast studio. So if you heard me talk earlier in the year about how I was finally, after being a podcaster for, I don't know, seven years at this point, at least six years, I have finally put together a dedicated space for my podcasting. Previously, I've always podcasted in my home office, which is totally fine, even though the acoustics are not great in there, either in my old house or in my new house. It's, you know, has high ceilings. Like it's not great for actually podcasting. In our house that we live in currently, I can't really call it a new house anymore. It's been two years at this point. But the previous owners had a recording studio. One of them was in a band. And so they had this recording studio that is actually a converted closet. So perfect with like the padded walls already, had it already decked out for recording equipment. But it still took me almost a year and a half to really claim this space. I was a little bit intimidated by it. Like I felt like, oh gosh, like I'm not, I mean, I am a professional podcaster, but like I don't need like a podcast studio. Like we can use this space for storage or something else. I don't know. But then when I decided I was going to bring this show back after its hiatus of 2022, my husband, Jeff, and also myself, like we looked at this and we were like, what else are we going to do? Here it is being served up to us on a platter. Why would I not make it a podcast studio? So I went to work like buying boom arms and the things that you put together for a podcast studio. And one of the things that I wanted in here, because it is, again, a former closet, so there's no windows, it's very cave-like, it's very dark, and I wanted to have a neon sign in this space, just because I think that's fun, it's nice light, it looks good on camera, and I'm on camera a lot doing like 
Zooms or recording with other people, even though we turn them into audio only products. I don't know, just felt like it set the tone. So did you know that you can get custom neon signs made with different fonts and different styles, all different sizes? The website I used, again, not sponsored, nothing, is called customneon.com. That is how literal this is. I got a pink sign that says, share your stuff. I decided to do that instead of having it be the name of this show or any of my other projects. It felt like share your stuff was like the root of all my messages. And so that's the words that I had it made into. And I put it up on the wall. I painted the wall pink. The neon is pink. There's a theme happening here. And it has made me so happy for the last six months that I have had this on my wall. People comment on it immediately when I'm recording with them or when I'm on a Zoom meeting with them or something. It is notable, memorable. It makes me feel like I'm truly occupying this space and not just pulling a microphone out in my office, which is what I did for many years, even as a professional. And that worked. Like I didn't ever feel like a hack necessarily because I didn't have a dedicated space. I really didn't. But now that I do, I will say there is something about making a space your own, whatever that looks like for you, even if it's just a, you know, a corner of a room that you take over to be your little space, it does change the vibe. So having a recording studio does make me feel like I'm doing it, y'all. Like I'm a podcaster. Even though I was a podcaster before, it has been a little bit of a mental shift But really this favorite thing that I'm trying to tell you about is the custom neon because I'm so in love with it. And again, I'll show a picture of it on social media so you can see that now I just want to do neon signs like in all the places. It just is fun. Does it feel like a bar or a nightclub in here? Maybe it might, which is not a place that I frequent any longer. So the only neon that I'm really getting is here in this podcast space, but it just makes me so happy. It is such a fun addition to any kind of a room. I know it's popular right now, but like, does neon ever go out of style? I'm not sure. Maybe it does actually. But for now, super fun to have this custom neon sign. Mine says share your stuff. The website is actually literally customneon.com. Okay. Number five on my favorite things list. Number five is something that I bought for my family for like a family Christmas present. And it became like everyone's favorite family Christmas present that we got this year. And so I wanted to share it with you. I think I got served this as an Instagram ad. Honestly, I don't even know where this came from, but it is a big blanket. It's literally from bigblanket.com. And it is a huge blanket that If your family or, you know, you can use it just for yourself or your pets or cuddling with someone else, like if you're on the couch and you do movie night or whatever together, it is a huge blanket that covers multiple people. This is such a simple product. I mean, it's a blanket, y'all, and it's soft and it's cute. Like it has a cute little design. There's multiple designs you can choose. We got like a purple one and it, it is nice material. But honestly, the like the big thing about it is that it's big. <laughs> That's its main attribute. 
And it does seem a little bit silly, except we all love it. Now, we do have like a TV room set up that is a couch in front of a TV. I mean, (laughs) very basic. But we all like to sit along the couch together, all four members of my family, and watch a movie or a TV show or whatever we're doing. And we do fight over blankets because we usually have one or two that doesn't cover somebody's feet or isn't long enough to keep somebody warm. And it's just sort of one of those dumb family things that like, why do you fight over the blankets? Like who gets the best blanket? Who gets the softest blanket? It's like just one of those really somewhat universal family dynamics that someone has now come up with a solution for. (laughs) Bigblanket.com is what it's called. Again, it's so simple. And sometimes it's these little simple pleasures that make something so fun and memorable and gift worthy. And also just like a simple joy in your life that you're like, you know, why do we, why do we make things so hard? Why do we make gift giving so hard? Christmas family gifts. We try to like, you know, do this big dramatic thing when what my family really loved was the big blanket. (laughs) It did come in like a big, really cute, has really cute branding. It came in like this really big, cute box and whatever. But I think the kids thought it was, of course, going to be something else. And I was like, this is a family gift. And I don't know what they thought they were going to open up, but I'm sure that they thought it was going to be something more exciting than a big blanket. However, in practice, we all love it. We all reach for it. It's made movie night like that much more cozy. And I don't know. We just love it. It's very simple. Bigblanket.com. That was number five. Number six is a lipstick. Have we ever done a favorite things lately episode where I didn't talk about lipstick? Maybe, maybe not. I always want to bring something makeup related or skincare related or something to these lists because it's something I love and something I hope that you enjoy hearing about. This one is a lipstick. You might have heard me talk about it on episode 435 of the Sorta Awesome Show. I was a guest on that show, a reunion show we called it because, of course, Sorta Awesome was my original stomping grounds. That's where I very first became a podcaster as a co-host on that show. Loved it so much. I love those women deeply. And one of the features of Sorta Awesome is that every week there's an awesome of the week. And the hosts and co-hosts bring something amazing to recommend. And so when I was a guest on that show just a few weeks ago, again, episode 435, we all, there was a group show. So there was four of us, all the current co-hosts, my dear friend and host and creator of Sorta Awesome, Meg Teets, and me. And we all brought our awesome of the week to that episode. And mine was this lipstick that I'm going to share with you now. It's by Pat McGrath. And it is called Full Panic. Now it's bright. I mean, it is really bright. It is a bright, bright fuchsia. So just be aware of that. One of the reasons it's notable is because one of my signature lipsticks that I I still wear all the time, and people always ask me about it if they see me wearing it on Instagram or something, it was by Fenty, and I loved it, and it is discontinued. And so... I have been looking, I think, for a replacement, even though I bought several tubes to tide me over. But I have been looking for a replacement for that Fenty lipstick for, I don't know, maybe a year. And when we were in 
Nashville. I was in Nashville with my mastermind in early February. We took a little field trip to Sephora, which was fun because if you ever go to Sephora with Jamie Golden, you're going to get some amazing tips and recommendations and insight for sure. So we go to Sephora and as usual, I was just looking through lipsticks. It's my favorite thing to buy. My two favorite things in all the world to buy in makeup skincare realm is moisturizer. I am a moisturizer fanatic. I try all of the kinds and lipstick. Even though I tend towards the almost the exact same shade, the shade does not vary that much of what I really, really love when I'm wearing these bright fuchsias. But the formulas definitely matter. The formula meaning if it's matte, if it's shiny, if it is long wearing, if it is a gloss. I try all of the different types of lipsticks and lip glosses and everything in this bright fuchsia, but they're not all created equal. Some of them have a lot more pigment than the others. Some of them are drying or they smear or they don't last very long or something about it isn't quite flattering. I saw this one and here's my perfectly honest review. I have been hit or miss with Pat McGrath lipstick formulas. So I've tried a few in the past and this is not the cheapest of lipsticks. I mean, this is almost a $40 lipstick, which is, you know, double what I'm used to paying with my favorite, which is NARS or even the price of that original Fenty Fuchsia that I loved so much. So, you know, it's felt like a risk a little bit knowing that I have tried Pat McGrath formulas, not in fuchsia. I think I tried a more neutral lipstick in this line a few years ago. And, you know, I just didn't love it. I can't remember exactly what I didn't love about it, but I remember thinking, oh, this is too expensive to repurchase. But I found this one. It was a slightly different formula and the color was perfection. Now it is a matte lipstick. And I have to be, as I age, a little careful with matte lipsticks. I like the look. I like that they're often more long-wearing, but sometimes matte lipsticks can be a little bit aging because the way that they go on, it can really highlight any lines around your mouth. It can be drying, like I said, which you know is not flattering or comfortable, doesn't look so good. So you have to be maybe a little bit more precise with matte lipsticks and how they wear on you, even more so than satin or or shiny formulas. So I tried this one out on my hand, as one does in Sephora, and I not only loved the color, I loved that it was creamy and matte and did not appear to budge at all. So I didn't buy it in the store that day because I don't remember why, but I did go home and order it. And I've been wearing it now well, since then, since February, so for several months, and it has become my go-to. And people have started asking me about it if they see me wearing it online or something. I just love it. Again, it's called Pat McGrath Full Panic, and that name feels very apt, but it also tells you it is a bright, bright fuchsia. And not everybody is going to feel super comfortable wearing such a dramatic color But if you find something in that same line, which I'll link to that is maybe a color that would feel better on you, then I do encourage you to try it. Sephora has a great return policy if that's where you're buying from. I do really love Pat McGrath's colors and packaging. Packaging matters because it 
is not only pretty, which it is, but it goes towards like how long a lipstick may last when you notice like how secure the packaging is or something like that. If it, if it keeps the lipstick really secure in there and it doesn't break off or melt or whatever. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Pat McGrath's line in general. I just have been hit or miss with some of the lipstick formulas. This one, it's a hit. It's called Full Panic. I will show it online this week. Okay, number seven and number eight of my favorite things lately. They are both professional services that I have paid for that have been worth every single penny. And I can't say enough about them. I have talked about these two things in other ways, but I'm not hesitant on repeating myself here because they've both really mattered to me. They've both been a part of my year, of my 2023, and therefore they are landing on my favorite things list. So number seven is dog training. I talked about dog training back at the end of last year. Episode 154 was 10 things I learned in 2022. And I talked a little bit about this personal journey back then because we got a new puppy in August of 2022. So we'd lived in our new house a little over a year. And we basically did that thing where you get a dog for your dog. I mean, that's a thing, right? And our now six-year-old dog, Kona, who's a little Alaskan Klee-Hai, he's like a, looks like a little mini husky. We love him so much. He's such an important part of our family. When we made the move across town in 2021, Kona lost the biggest joy in his life, which was barking at the neighbors who walked by and his little friends, by friends, I mean children or other dogs in our neighborhood that we lived in before. In our new home, the way that the backyard is fenced in, he can't see the street. He can't see anyone walking by or whatever. So he's gotten kind of lonely back there. And that is probably the main reason we decided to get a second dog. There's a few other reasons. That's not what this episode is about. But we decided to add a second dog to our home. And we got a miniature Australian Shepherd, although he's on the bigger side of miniature. So he's almost not a mini, but he is an Australian Shepherd. His name is Jupiter. We love him so much. But puppy life is not for the week. This dog is almost a year old. He will turn one in May. So when we got him, he was about 12 weeks old. We love him. He's been my great teacher. He is a joy and I'm so glad he's in our life. He is so sweet. And also puppy life will take over your whole world. As you may know, they are messy. They destroy things. Potty training is a process. I only vaguely remember all of these things from when we got Kona in 2017. But just like with childbirth, you have amnesia about the hardest parts of it when you decide to do it again. That's where we lived with puppy life with Jupiter. And I just, I wanted to do it differently than we had done with Kona. We actually didn't train Kona very much at all. We tried it. We half-heartedly tried training him. And we just ended up getting into some sort of terrible habits with him. Now, most of those have sort of worked themselves out as they do as dogs age and just become a lot calmer. And Kona's a great dog and he's super mellow. But those early years, he was not. And I definitely wished that we had done a lot of things differently. And so we vowed to do that with Jupiter and we hired a dog trainer. My dog trainer's name is Max. You can look up his 
website if you want, themaxdogtrainer.com. He also has an Instagram. I'll link to all of it. We found Max through a friend, one of my best friends, Julie. I actually write about her in the Life Council as my daily duty friend. And now we have been working with Max since, I guess, November. I actually want to have him come and be on the show. You know, even though dog training, it seems like it might be outside of the introspective purview of 10 Things to Tell You, it's actually not because dog training turns out is so much like therapy. I mean, it really is because as Max, the dog trainer, will tell you, he's not so much training the dogs as he's training the humans. And what it brings up for you when you're trying to train the dog and when you are seeing what your specific struggles are outside of like the breed and puppies and all those other things, like when you're trying to work with a trainer to make a dog fit into your life in the best way, like you're, you know, you want it to be part of your family. What he's mostly doing is training me and how to be with my dog and how to be in authority and how to think about dogs because it is different than the way you think about children or, you know, anything else really. And I needed some real retraining some rewiring of some of my habits when interacting with pets and how I want our family life to look and feel, including these beautiful dogs. I cannot tell you how many times I have cried in dog training. Now, I'm a crier, okay? So that's not like the wildest thing to say because I am emotional and I feel my feelings and they come out on the outside. But dog training for me has been surprisingly emotional because I thought we were just going to, you know, teach the dog how to like be better or whatever. I was completely unprepared for the part where I needed to teach myself how to be in relationship to my dogs and our home and our family life and what things I have internalized about love and how we show love and how we discipline and things like that. Now, to be fair, Max, the dog trainer, he doesn't make it as spiritual as I'm talking about it. I mean, he can be a little bit like he has a very sort of Zen demeanor. He's very calm, which is amazing. He's very calming with the dogs, but he doesn't make it weird. I'm the one who's making it weird and realizing like having truly almost like therapy-like breakthrough moments when we're actually talking about disciplining the pets. Also, Jeff does the dog training with me. He is not having spiritual moments, by the way. (laughs) So take this for what it's worth. The reason it's my favorite thing is because number one, it has really worked. It has dramatically worked to have a trainer teach me how to interact with my dog better. And the dog is better. Jupiter is a much better puppy, even though he's a mess sometimes, but he's a much better trained dog than Kona was. And so just facts on the ground, dog training really works if you find the right trainer. But it's also my favorite thing because it has sort of changed my perspective on a few things. It opened me up to maybe some ways in which I was misstepping or misunderstanding how to be with these pets that share our space, that share our home. And dog training is not cheap. You know, you pay for it. Dog trainers are trained professionals and it's a service that you're paying for. If this is in your budget and you have 
a dog. It does not have to be a puppy. It really is an education. It really has been. And so that's the first service that I wanted to talk about that really has been worth the money. That's number seven. The second service that has been definitely worth the money and that I can't say enough about is hiring a professional photographer. This is one of my favorite things because I love the pictures, first of all. (laughs) But I also think that this has become less popular isn't the right word, like less of a trend maybe to have professional photographers take pictures of your family or take pictures of you professionally, like headshots if you need that for your job or promotional shots if you need that for any aspect of your job that then you could use on a website or social media or whatever, or, you know, just family shots for Christmas cards or just family, you know, documentation or whatever. With the rise in smartphone cameras being so good and anybody being able to take a pretty decent shot with their phone in their pocket, it seems like that professional photography services have fallen off some people's radar as being necessary. And I, and like, I totally get that because they too can be expensive. Maybe that isn't a look that you think you want for your Christmas cards, or you don't want that kind of posed or staged or, you know, perfect looking family photo that you would hang on your walls necessarily. Like there's a few reasons I think that some people are like, oh, I don't need that. And I get it. Of all the things, you know, when you're working with your budget and with optional things like this, like this is definitely one that might not be at the top of your list as an absolute need. But if it is in your budget, or if you could give this as a gift or be given this as a gift, you know, again, personally or professionally, You simply cannot replace professional photos with our iPhones. And I know that you kind of can for some things. And we really are, it's like shocking how good we can take really nice pictures with our phones. But these pictures from professionals, they are so near and dear to me. And they don't have to be a family photo that you might think is not your style, like photos on the beach, which I've done and love, or, you know, again, posed family photos, which I've also done and also love. Whatever you have in your mind about it that you think, well, that's not for me. Like our family's not really like that, or I don't really have a need for those. There's so many different styles out there that you can take. So for example, and this is the exception of the whole list of something that I did not personally pay for, but then I am going to talk about professional photos that I did pay for because I I really want you to know how much I believe in this. But Laura Beth Davidson is a professional photographer that does documentary style photos, like day in the lifestyle photos for families. So she approached me on Instagram and asked if she could come shoot our family. And we had some mutual friends and I knew that she had shot some other friends of mine. And so I could see that her work was beautiful and I could see that, you know, it was going to be a good relationship for her to come and spend the day in our home, which is exactly what she did. She came over for, I don't know, maybe four hours on a Saturday. And we had agreed, you know, with one another that she was just going to be in the background and we should just sort of do our normal Saturday and she was going to document it. Now, I mean, obviously like I put lipstick on and curled my hair, which I might not have done on a normal Saturday, (laughs) but I didn't want to look like schlubby in these professional photos. So it was a mix of like, this is what we look like on Saturday. And also, you know, maybe a little enhanced version of that. But we did just hang out. Jeff did his puzzle. 
I made cupcakes with Lucy. I read on the couch. My son played out in the driveway, basketball alone. Like we sort of just did our normal few hours, maybe slightly enhanced, but we were just sort of living our life. And Laura Beth took the most beautiful pictures of us living our very normal life. And I thought, what a gift this is to have someone capture your sort of quote unquote normal Saturday. The types of things that you wouldn't normally take a picture of, like my 11-year-old in the driveway shooting baskets, which he does all the time. And yes, sometimes I as a mom like see it out the window and think, what a sweet moment. Maybe I'll even snap a picture of it on my phone. But these professional pictures of it were so special. She also then made them into this beautiful book that we will really treasure. I have professional photos taken, you know, and have since the kids were little, you know, we've had a year off here or there, but like I've had a lot of family pictures taken and they are a little bit more like we're in our really cute clothes and they're, you know, they're meant to be used in a Christmas card type of style. I love having those. I have done that for the grandparents. We've had pictures when they, you know, when we were visiting the grandparents professionally done because we wanted to document our family in kind of a formal way. I'm all for that too. So it's kind of both sides of of what you want to capture. But what I really loved about this shoot with Laura Beth is that we will look back on this Saturday hanging out at the house, look at these photos. They seem very normal to us now. Like again, my son playing video games, like that's just what he looks like now. But in a few short years, he won't. He, I mean, he might still be playing video games, but he won't look exactly how he looks now. He won't be curled up on his bed in the same way because he's going to get bigger and he's going to turn into a teenager and he's going to look really different. And so sort of seeing this moment that we're going to have captured in these photos and in this photo book, I know, as I do with all pictures, you can't feel the full value of them until a little bit of time has passed. And that's why I really love family photos. Now, the other side is I have worked with Jess Kaler. She's also shot our family, by the way. Takes amazing family photos also. But I have had Jess Kaler take professional photos of me. Again, things that I want to use on my website, that I want to use as headshot. She took the author photo that's in my new book, The Life Council. Like She has taken a ton of professional shots for me of just me, you know? And this is a package that I pay for as a client to a photographer. I also really love Jess. And so we have a great time when we're shooting together. But this is something that I do value spending money on. And she has taken some of the best photos of me that make me feel pretty and make me feel like this is the me that I want to be, you know, sort of putting forth professionally. And it's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm so glad I have them. It wouldn't matter like whatever a person's profession is, if it would be of value to you in any way to have some photos taken of you doing the thing that you do. It's so fun and so valuable. And again, something that I am really glad that I make the time and effort for, even though Listen, photo shoots are exhausting. Even the ones where we were casual with Laura Beth, like there's something very tiring about feeling like you're being documented, feeling like you want to look cute or you want the project to, you know, be worth your money or, you know, all the different 
feelings that we have when we are having our picture taken. You can feel very self-conscious. You can feel like too dressed up or not dressed up enough or all these things that go through our head. And even still, even after you get through a few hours of someone taking pictures of you and it is exhausting, I think it will end up being worth it. So those were number seven and eight professional services that I've paid for that are favorite things that I think are absolutely worth the money and time and effort that you spend on them. Number seven was dog training. Number eight was professional photos. Number nine on my favorite things list kind of goes with what I was just talking about with the photographer is the Aura picture frame. So this is also a Christmas gift. I feel like I've mentioned this a few times, but the big blanket was a Christmas gift for our family that I found. The Aura picture frame, which is a digital picture frame, which is funny because I feel like these were really popular in like the early 2000s or something, digital picture frames. And then they sort of weren't popular at all for a while, maybe. And then now they're like back. I don't know. It's one of those funny things that you think it's very gimmicky or something. But I really especially love this one. So we got an Aura picture frame for my in-laws for Christmas last year. So not 2022, but Christmas 2021. And my in-laws in particular, they're hard to shop for. They have everything they need. They're also often visiting us at Christmas. And so I want to get them something that won't be a burden to get back home to where they live in Georgia, you know, something they can put in their suitcase. And I don't remember if I saw this, it might've been on Oprah's favorite things list or something like that. And I thought, oh, this would be a great grandparent gift, right? It feels like a digital picture frame. It feels like that's in the grandparent territory. (laughs) You know what I mean? I loaded it up with pictures, which you can do remotely also, like you can put new pictures on it from across the country or whatever. And they loved it and they raved about it. And what was funny is it was one of the in-law gifts that I got without Jeff, their son, my husband. He didn't know about it until they opened it on Christmas morning. And then he was like, oh, that's cool. And then I set it up while they were still visiting and Jeff loved it. Like he was like sort of enamored with the digital picture frame. So I made a secret note to myself that I was going to get it for him for a birthday or Christmas next because he really liked it. So I ended up getting it for him for Christmas 2022. So like six months ago. And again, I loaded it up with tons of family pictures and we put it in our kitchen like on the bookshelf in our kitchen, right by the kitchen table. And I'm telling you right now, whatever you think about digital picture frames, like if that seems very grandparenty to you, our entire family looks at that thing every single night at dinner, every single night. And we comment on the pictures as they come up every single night, even though by now I feel like we have seen the same pictures multiple times, even with hundreds of them on there, because it just sort of rotates all day long. We will sit there while we're eating dinner and, you know, a picture will come up and someone will say, oh, look, remember that? And then we'll, as a family, get to like reminiscing about that trip or looking at Kona as a puppy and remember when he was like this or a picture of the kids when they were little will come up and they'll ask questions about it and we'll get to talk about it. That digital picture frame is so much more than just a place to display pictures. It has brought up so many family memories and so much nostalgia. And, you know, one time I read, when my kids were little, I read this thing about one of the ways, I don't don't want to butcher this philosophy or whatever it was, but like one of the ways that you can instill foundational memories in your kids is to continue to talk about them. 
So if you take a really amazing family trip or something when the kids are little, to continue to talk about it and bring it up. And this is what really anchors good, strong foundational memories in your kids is to continue to talk about the good memories together. So that always stuck with me. And we've always done that as a family. Like we just will occasionally talk about our favorite trips together, our favorite things to do together. Remember when you were little and this happened. I make an effort to really bring up those kind of things with the kids as a way to just sort of continue our family philosophy and memory and life together. The picture frame makes it so much easier because it just comes up naturally and it's sitting there where we're already eating dinner which is helpful. So it's called the Aura Picture Frame, A-U-R-A. I'll put a link to it. You can get it at Costco. I think I saw it there once. I bought Jeff's version on Amazon. I can't remember where I bought the original one for my in-laws. It might've also been Amazon. I'm not sure. It also makes a wonderful gift if you are looking for a grandparent type of gift. I did include it in my Not a Gift Guide gift guide last year or maybe the year before because I loved it so much. But I was thinking when I was thinking about sharing with you my favorite things. And we were sitting there every single night in the last six months that we've been eating at home, looking at that dadgum picture frame. I was like, well, this has to go on the list because this is such a standout in our family life. Okay. And then lastly, number 10 on my favorite things right now list is the new documentary on Judy Bloom called Judy Bloom Forever. It is streaming on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it right now if you haven't already. It just came out, and I watched it with my daughter and my husband over the weekend. And y'all, I cried throughout the entire documentary. I cried. Like, I think I teared up in the first 30 seconds, and I did not hold it together until the credits at the end. Obviously, women of a certain age, my age, and there's kind of a span of decades here, but there is a subset of the population that was so affected by Judy Bloom, you know, as to be life-changing. And I am one of those people. And I got the chance to meet Judy Bloom in 2015 when she was on book tour for her book, In the Unlikely Event. It's an adult novel. And... I just really wanted to meet her and they had like a meet and greet. So I, you know, bought the tickets, took a friend. I'll share that picture on social media if I can dig it up because of course I cried meeting her in like the 22nd sign my book line. But back to the documentary, which is my actual favorite thing. You know, the documentary itself like wasn't entirely perfect. It runs a bit long, but it is so well done. Even Jeff, my... (laughs) filmmaker husband who makes documentaries himself, he was enthralled by something that he didn't know a ton about, certainly had no connection to, although he could see me beside him on the couch weeping. But just from a filmmaking standpoint, it was just really beautifully done, like graphically and the interviews and just sort of the angles that they took. It's hard to cover such an iconic figure and like sort of nail every single aspect of why they mattered. And because this is such a a personal thing, a person's relationship to Judy Bloom, like there were some things I wish they'd maybe done a deeper dive on, some things I didn't care as much about. That's the nature of documentaries. But just being able to see this person that has meant so much to me, so much to certain generations around me, 
you know, finally get her due. And obviously, I don't want to say finally get her due like she's been overlooked all this time. Judy Bloom is iconic by like any standard, but I could explain it with my words to my husband and daughter and still couldn't really explain it all the way the way that a doc can. I mean, that's one of the big benefits of documentaries, right? And so for me, it was very validating, not only to like see on the screen how much she's affected so many people, but also Judy Bloom is, you know, herself like interviewed throughout. She's really the thread throughout these these different interviews with her, both throwbacks, like old footage from 70s and 80s, and then current interviews with her now, like looking back on her life and her writing and her impact. When we ended it, both Jeff and Lucy were like, well, she is awesome, like her as a person. And so it just felt like so validating to feel like that Judy Bloom herself holds up, even if some of her work is now being considered a little bit dated, which I do understand, like something that really changes the zeitgeist, something that you know, absolutely moves the needle and changes something as important as children's lit. It's going to, you know, it's not always going to be the most modern thing, especially living in a world now where things are written about that when we were reading Judy Bloom, she was the only option. She was the only person writing about getting your period and and all these things around puberty and then beyond. You know, her books covered divorce, her books covered falling in love and lots of things, lots of things that it covered in a way that no one else was writing about at the time. Obviously, that's not true anymore. So it's going to feel different to the current generation. Still, I just loved it. It filled my heart up so much. The documentary was made in conjunction with the release of the film adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which also comes out this month. I haven't decided if I'm going to see that or not. I love that book. I'm not as attached to that book like that the movie would ruin it for me, but I'm also not sure that I want to sort of conflate them in my head. But this documentary on Judy Bloom called Judy Bloom Forever, it just, I've been thinking about it all weekend. And we've been talking about it as a family all weekend about what it means to do what you do best, even in the face of criticism and early cancel culture, which people tried to cancel Judy Bloom. To this day, she's still on the banned books list. And a good documentary like this one that really validates fans and, and the people who can point to her as such an important part of their childhood or their reading history. You know, it means something to us, but then it also, like I said, it means something to the wider world who maybe like never got on the Judy Bloom train. They either were too old or too young or just wasn't their interest for them to see like why this matters. And it certainly definitely matters. So that was my last favorite thing, Judy Bloom Forever streaming on Amazon Prime. This has been so fun. As always, I love putting together these lists for you as you are thinking this week about what your favorite things are right now. Maybe jot it down in a journal or in your planner. Maybe reach out to a friend and just exchange a few of your favorites right now. Put it on the group text. Toss it up in a Facebook group that you love. Because remember, sharing our favorite things is fun, first of all. 
useful to those of us who love recommendations, and most of us do. And also, it is an exercise in gratitude and noticing what we love, what we're into. It marks time documenting our taste and these phases and our obsessions, but it also helps us just notice a little more deeply the world around us, which is, as always, the point of 10 Things to Tell You. Thanks so much for listening, friends. Now go share something. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. For show notes and links, go to 10thingstotellyou.com. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secret stuff. Thanks for listening. 